0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: A look at the conference championship games... 2022 ADP and a little rookie talk. That's what we'll be doing today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotovis. Sean, you guys have been in the lab with the Rookie Guide, uh, the first version of it. As I understand, it's going to release very soon, maybe already out uh, by the time this podcast releases We'll hit that towards the back end of the show, but we want to start talking a little bit about the conference championships, a little bit about some early ADP for those that are already looking into best ball leagues, kind of
2: a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. Yeah, this is a loaded show, or at least it could be, depending on how things go. And the first thing is just extremely exciting conference championship games coming up. Obviously, if we could have had Chiefs Bills for the conference championship game instead, I mean, that would have been the real highlight, but if you have to take kind of the consolation choice, Chiefs-Bengals with, number one, what Patrick Mahomes has been doing recently, number two, what Joe Burrow has been doing recently, you look at Jamar Chase and how he's really consolidated this uh, massive game and kind of the second half breakout. Uh, We'll be mentioning him again in terms of the early ADP here in a moment. But coming off of a, a shootout game that they played just a couple of weeks ago, that one will be fantastic. And then you have this interesting contrast of styles and mix of personalities as we go. 49ers, Rams. You know, in a lot of cases, when you have the four seed versus the sixth seed in the conference championship game, I think people are looking at it as a little bit of a letdown. But even though the star quarterbacks are on the AFC side through the Rams and the NFC these top 6 teams were very good now perhaps you know you would kick the cardinals out of there because they weren't as healthy at the end but 49ers Rams is a big time matchup both of these teams made and lost super bowls recently and feel like they still have work to do yeah i mean i think we
1: we knew coming into this year the NFC west was going to be a strong division probably the best in football and it has been it was last year i mean i think it has been for a couple of years this off season was sort of the the arms race, right? The, the Rams go out and get Matthew Stafford. The Niners trade up and draft Trey Lance. You know, the Seahawks continue to flounder and do nothing to support Russell Wilson. Uh, the Cardinals, you know, continue to add pieces. And into the season, they trade for Zach Ertz and they're adding names. They're adding J.J. Watt. They're adding, obviously, A.J. Green, you know, some, some former stars. But, you know, the Rams, uh, I think you called them mercenaries on the last show have obviously over the last several years just traded away all of their future first round picks and things to, to get guys like Jalen Ramsey. And then this year they are able to get some cheaper acquisitions, but big name guys, obviously in in season they add Odell Beckham as a free agent signing as the Browns cut him and they make a trade for Vaughn Miller that they didn't have to give up a ton for. So they wind up with, you know, this pro bowl roster in, in so many spots. And again, you go back to the Niners, who were just very, very well positioned. I think in their own right, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. And so, this was a really great division coming into the year. It got better during the year as all these teams were sort of, a, you know, or not all of them, but a couple of them were acquiring talent. Certainly, the Rams, the Cardinals, are another example of that. And so, to to wind up, like you said, it, it feels a little disappointing in some respects. At the same time, to wind up with two NFC West teams. Playing for the conference championship at the beginning of the year, I think would have made sense. It, it wouldn't have been that surprising to us, right? It's kind of like a few years back in the AFC North when you had the Steelers and the and the Ravens both being so good and, and having some, you know, some huge huge shootouts and things. Obviously, the Patriots were still a, a huge factor in the AFC, but you get one of these divisions that's really good. They have to beat up each, beat up on each other a little bit during the regular season. You're going to have a team like Seattle, who has a down year. You're going to maybe have a team like Arizona who has some injuries. But not that surprising, I think, to see two teams that kind of from the offseason, we did expect to be good teams and to be in contention. You mentioned both have made Super Bowl runs in the last few years. And and having made those runs and then also had some disappointing seasons, it, it wasn't something where we didn't feel like either of these teams could ever make it back. And so now we will have one of them back in the Super Bowl this year. That looks like a fantastic game. You mentioned the Chiefs-Bengals matchup. I mean, the Bengals win 34-31 in their last contest, and Chase catches 11 of 12 targets for 266 yards and three touchdowns. That was the monster game he had. He's not going to be taking Kansas City by surprise in any kind of way, I don't think, in this one. So it will be really interesting to see if the Bengals are able to get T. Higgins going alongside and get Tyler Boyd maybe going, get C.J. Uzama going because probably Kansas City's going to spend a
2: lot of time trying to shut down that guy who had over a quarter of a thousand yards against them the last time they played. And the Kansas City defense has been hot, and yet at the same time, they're definitely going to be going into this one trying to figure out how not to be embarrassed again as they have these two times recently with Chase and then obviously last week with Gabriel Davis. It'll be interesting to see how they play it, and I know that You in a lot of your FFPC playoff contest teams have T Higgins to get that leverage to the number two guy. And we know that T Higgins can go off in a big, big way. One of the things that happened in this Bills game uh, number one, I think that Gabriel Davis just played really well. And number two, maybe Stephon Diggs did not have a great performance. But you could also see that the Chiefs, and including on some of these big touchdowns late, had the safety hedged over on top of Diggs to make sure that that pattern was not going to work out, opening up Davis for a one-on-one that he exploited. And so if you have Higgins in these situations this week, you know people looking to DFS, people who have a lot of teams alive in their FFPC or other playoff contests, I think that there is this possibility that we get the massive explosion from Higgins this week. They're going to have to incorporate Tyler Boyd as well. They're going to have to execute a lot more effective short passing in this game than they have been. The Chiefs are going to put a lot of pressure on you, Chris Jones, as perhaps the best interior defender in all of football. The Bengals simply can't take nine sacks again. They probably can't take half that many and still win this game. Yeah, they, they can't play the way they did against the Raiders or the Titans, I think, and and, that, and really
1: have any chance. And I think that's why we've seen a little bit of line movement. It opened at six and a half. It's gone to to seven in some places and and even seven and a half in in some. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you. I think the the Bengals let the Raiders hang around by not playing efficient enough offense, really. And then let the Titans hang around essentially by just giving up drives to, to tons of sacks they probably should have won both of those games to get here by more. And so you look at it from that perspective and you're like, that's not going to cut it against the chiefs. You're going to need to be a lot more efficient on offense. You're going to need to protect Joe Burrow or Bur- Burrow's going to need to get the ball out. Obviously sacks can certainly be a QB stat as well. And so uh, it, it will be really interesting to see how that dynamic develops. A big part of how they were able to beat the chiefs in week 17 was the big play. Do the Chiefs try to just take that away and force them to be consistently good? I mean, I think that's the way I would play it if I was the Chiefs. I mean, you mentioned rolling additional coverage over to Jamar Chase. I think that's definitely how I would play it. And it does open up T. Higgins, who's a very good number two, can can obviously do what Gabriel Davis did last week. Had a 40-point fantasy game the week before Jamar Chase went off. Right. If he wasn't playing alongside Jamar Chase, I wouldn't be calling him a number two, I think, at, at this stage of his career. I mean, this guy's incredibly good in his own right. But I think the Chiefs will, you know, certainly spend some more time on Chase, which Chase is very good, and he still may be able to to beat that, beat those coverages, do things after the catch. I mean, he's been just so good down the stretch in the regular season and in the postseason. But those big plays, I mean, those are going to be a huge element of this game. Chase had a 72-yard and a 69-yard touchdown in their first meeting. The Bengals win by three points with a a last-second field goal, 34-31. to So the Chiefs hung with them even despite some of these big plays. If the Bengals aren't able to do that in front of the Chiefs, again, I'm I'm trying to take that away as much as as much as possible. Force the Bengals to move it down the field, potentially lose some drives on those back breaking sacks if you can get a few. Burrow was sacked four times when the, the Chiefs and the Bengals last met. Uh Patrick Mahomes.
2: And that game in Cincinnati.
1: Yes, and that game was in Cincinnati. So that's uh That'll be really interesting to see if the Bengals, like you said, the short passing game, if they'll be able to um, to move the ball down the field against a defense that presumably won't be giving
2: them anything deep, right? And you mentioned the short passing game and you mentioned the QB sacks being definitely a combination of quarterback play and offensive line play. The quarterback has that responsibility if the offensive line isn't going to give him the time to still get rid of the ball. And we saw that from Tom Brady last week. I mean, it was a rough game for Brady most of the time, but he kept it from being even worse by being able to get the ball away and avoid a few of the sacks that looked like they were going to happen. You look at the game from the quarterback perspective when they give you some of these replays and it's clear that Burrow, number one, doesn't have anybody to throw to, but the number two wasn't anywhere close to getting the ball out. So like there was a chance, like it was either going to be a sack or he almost got it away. I mean, those are just straightforward sacks. In this game, I mean, he's got to have guys there. And so he's got to be quicker with it. And the play calls have to be a little better. I mean, the Bengals have been very good despite some questionable run pass decisions over the first half of the season. And then in this recent stretch despite having a number of plays where either everything is short or nothing is short, they're going to have to mix it up a little better against the Chiefs to give themselves that opportunity. I mean, you talked about how good they were in the last game. For this to be a situation where Joe Burrow almost has to throw for 450 yards even to keep the game close gives you a sense of why the line is what it is. On the the Rams 49ers side, I, I agree with your take on that as well. I think we could argue that these teams are better than they were if we talk about right now. Now, they've had some peaks and valleys during the year, but right now are at least more talented, if not better, than when each of them made the Super Bowl. The Rams obviously have Matthew Stafford instead of Jerry Goff on the 49ers side. They've added weapons in the passing game. And a lot of this may even come down to left tackle play, right? And the health of Trent Williams on one side and Andrew Whitworth on the other. They're going to have to be able to protect their quarterbacks, keep them upright, because I do think the winner of this game is going to have to score some points. The 49ers will not be able to get out with sort of a fluke victory like they did last week.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's somewhat tough to say that the 49ers are playing really well when we look at how they played last week. And yet they come into this game. I mean, it's almost like a a complete 180 from, from last week where last week they're playing in really, you know, obviously Cold weather, it was uh the wind chill, I think, gotten into the minus degrees. It was it was single digits on on the field in terms of actual temperature. And you have this this time around, they're facing a team in the Rams that from a matchup perspective, they've had a lot of success against. Uh, they've beat the last six times, I believe it is, that these teams have played. Now some of those games they've dominated,
2: some have been a little bit closer, but is this a nobody beats Sean McVay seven times in a row situation? Yeah, <laughs> it will be really interesting. Uh, this week, I,
1: I I read a really good article that I'd recommend to anyone, everyone at, at, over at the Ringer from Benjamin Solak, who wrote about the, the running games and the evolution of the running games under of these two teams under Shanahan and McVay and where they're similar and where they differ. And in it also, he linked uh, to a podcast appearance from last summer where Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan, McVay does a podcast and, and Shanahan was a guest and they were discussing and to hear them talk to each other and and discuss sort of some of the elements where they're they're buddies and they like to talk, but they're also in the same division and they have to kind of keep some of the, some of the stuff from each other and some of the mind games involved. And, you know, McVeigh at one point made a joke or or a comment. I don't even know if it was a joke where he was saying, you know, you you get into the game uh, preparation standpoint and and you think, I wonder if he remembers that comment. I made at the, at the combine and then Shanahan replies, on my end, you you know you, you get into the head game of was that comment he made the combine intentional? Did he accidentally let that slip, or was it an intentional thing to try to you know set me up in a certain way? And so, hearing them talk about it being buddies because you know those together, guys remember. yeah. Oh God, yeah. And and McVay worked under Shanahan uh, was his quality control guy in Washington when Shan, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. They worked very closely. They talked in, in that podcast as well about how that relationship went. McVay as a quality control guy was basically his right-hand man you know, on the headsets with him during games. They told some funny stories about that. Uh, and so anyway, I recommend going back and listening to that podcast for anyone who uh, has the time, because it was uh, really fun to, to look back from last July at these guys talking and, and know that they're, they're coming into the game here, but they're, they're two coaches that know each other very, very well. Their systems are similar in the sense that um, they both come from the Shanahan coaching tree. They both you know, start with the outside zone running game, but they've had to develop answers to teams figuring that out. You have the, the Rams, obviously, last time they were in the Super Bowl, sort of getting this blueprint from the, the Patriots kind of shown on them about how to add players to the line of scrimmage, give the heavy front, put six guys on the line, helps with the outside zone running game, and then also have two high safeties and, and drop a safety down to, to help with the crossers off play action and how that really affected the Rams after their Super Bowl and how they've had answers for that since and tried to have answers for that since. And then same with the 49ers, how they've had answers. And they do things a little bit differently. I mean, this is something that, that Solak was talking about at the Ringer. Very, very fascinating article. But the Rams certainly use the third receiver a lot, and they like to use that receiver as an additional blocker. The Niners have the fullback and Kyle Juszczyk as their you know, fifth-skill player. And so they do things a little differently with an additional – you know fullback in their in their packages as opposed to an additional receiver. And they have George Kittle, who is such a such a weapon as a blocker as well. So it'll be fascinating to see how you know you talk about is this one of those things where McVay loses you know can beat him seven times or whatever. It'll be fascinating to see his adjustments obviously he's gonna need to make adjustments. But also what what Shanahan has dialed up. These guys are both two of the best offensive designers. I think we will see some some running on both sides, uh, which is usually less entertaining. But these are guys that design pretty, pretty fun running games. And then obviously they have tons of weapons in the in the past game. We get this opportunity to see two of fantasy football's biggest stars this year, Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel on opposite ends, and additional pieces on both sides. You know, you have Odo Beckham now with the Rams. You obviously have George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk with the Niners. So many layers to this game. It's I think. I'm very excited for the Chiefs Bengals but I think I'm almost more excited after you know reading that article studying the Rams Niners to see how that goes how that cat and mouse
2: game goes between those two head coaches that know each other so well. It's going to be fun and I hope that it is high scoring. Despite as you mentioned there will be some run plays here. You know we have the FFPC contest going. I have some other got a fun contest I'm doing with Zachary Kruger where we have a lot more players left than some of the teams ahead of us. And the way that you come back when you have more players left is you need these games to to score points, right? You want them to be shootouts, not of your 13 to 10 variety. So that's the direction I'm looking. Ben, I'm going to give you my Super Bowl prediction. I have Chiefs. Obviously I have to go with the Chiefs. Chiefs, 49ers, who do you have in this one? I mean, you're just taking the easy easy road.
1: (laughs) You're You're taking the Chiefs. That was that was predictable. Everyone likes the Niners because they have dominated the Rams. The Rams are favored. They're kind of the the favorite that is getting no love. The lines moving closer to a um. I'll take the Rams. I do think the Chiefs will win as well. I'd love to see the Bengals win. I mean, it wouldn't be great for you. You wouldn't be as excited, but it would be super fun to see this stretch continue into the Super Bowl and have you know Joe Burrow against one of these. Uh, one of these NFC West teams that is getting back to the Super Bowl, and and you know they weren't the huge favorite, so you have sort of two underdogs in, in the Super Bowl would be would be a pretty fun thing. But probably we'll see the Chiefs. I'll say
2: Chiefs Rams, just to you know not make the same pick as you. You could have gone with the Bengals there, and it will be exciting if the Bengals make it through. I'm going to say I don't think the Chiefs will lose this game, as they lost some of their games early on. They've fixed those issues. They've developed the team. They've got better. Play in the running game, even when that's through the air with Jarek McKinnon. Uh, Patrick Mahomes absolutely locked in. So, if the Bengals make the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Herculean efforts from Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Mixon, the defense, this offensive line, maybe having a game where they tree a little bit. So, we get in this situation here. And if they make it, I'll be all for that because they have played a fantastic game.
0: Hey, RotoViz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal RotoViz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRadio2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRadio2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year RotoViz subscription.
2: Really excited to grill you on here. FFPC has the never too early best ball championship going. It has a $25,000 grand prize and never too early to draft. I mean, let's get right back into this. Who do you like here in the first round? We have some ADP we're looking at. And I don't think it's any surprise that Jonathan Taylor is one and Christian McCaffrey is two.
1: Yeah, there was some talk that McCaffrey wouldn't be going to necessarily and I just thought that was silly <laughs> sort of throughout uh, it's I think right that he's up there at one Oh two. It's, it, it's good to see that I in every, there's only been a few drafts so far, but we've seen Taylor go one-on-one and all of them. Uh, so I think part of the discussion is, will we see that last all season, all, all off season? And I think possibly, perhaps probably, but I I kind of question it as much of a Jonathan Taylor fan as I am, and I don't like to, to be the guy that's not on Jonathan Taylor, but we saw down the stretch how this offense evolved, and he was a little bit more like a Derrick Henry, was not catching very many passes at all. Uh, you had r- written in the offseason about his pass catching potentially not being seen as much of a as an upside element to his profile, as it could be. And it was for most of the year, a really important element. And we saw him consolidate the, the snaps as the season went along, really dominate the overall um, running back work for the Colts and, and kind of push Hines to the side. But so then you look at him going into next year and you say, well, there's a couple ways now that he can sort of fail. And that's one that they do decide at some point throughout next season, to use Hines a little more, and he's not an 80% snap share guy, Taylor, all year long. Two, that even if he is an 80% snap share guy all year long, that the workload is a little bit more like the last five weeks than the first you know, 12, where he was averaging about three catches per game, and then later in the year, he's averaging less than a catch per game. If he's not catching as many passes, that's a real challenge, even though he gets just so much goal line work. And then three is obviously the you know, the the typical running back concerns. Is he as efficient? Is he, you know, healthy? All of those things. He was incredibly efficient this year. Had so many big plays, long plays, 20 touchdowns. Stays incredibly healthy. But can he hit hit the big plays as frequently and all those things? I think that part of it I'm, I'm not as concerned about. We love the talent. We love the player so much that I want to have some exposure to him because he might just be that different. But I do think there is some reason to be concerned on the role stuff, on whether or not they will ride him for an entire season next year. You know, Who's even going to be the quarterback? Are they going to continue to stick with Wentz? What's going to happen with the evolution of the offense? Do they add receivers? I think that's got to be a huge priority for them in the offseason. Basically only had Michael Pittman all year. They used T.Y. Hilton sporadically when healthy – but he's going to just be another year older. They don't have a tight end presence. They're going to have to add something to their passing game and, and get some type of a passing game because this team can't just be all Jonathan Taylor. I think they sort of learned that even as a, you know, made a playoff push, they ended up failing and not getting to the playoffs. They have to have other answers. They have to be able to throw the ball. They can't just rely on Taylor to run for 200 yards a game. And so yeah, a lot of those elements are going to be interesting to consider. At the same time, you look at Taylor as a player. We talk all the time about talent over situation and those types of things. I think you have to trust player, and he should definitely be a top five pick, top three pick. But this idea that he's a clear 101 in every single league, I have a little bit of a hard time with that because I don't know when we talk about the legendary running back seasons and those types of things. I feel like this year was pretty close to, in, in his current Iteration and his current usage pretty close to the ceiling. And he wasn't a 25 point per game guy quite. He was just, you know, he's actually right, right around 22 points per game. And then you look at a guy like McCaffrey and you know that if he just stays healthy, like there's basically been no point in which
2: he hasn't been a 25 point per game guy. He's been a 30 point per game guy over a full season. Yeah. I mean, he can't score behind Jonathan Taylor if he stays healthy. You mentioned. All of those per- specific elements and this is where i like to go to the ep stats because they help us really understand how that manifests in terms of scoring jonathan taylor was the number four running back in terms of expected points per game finishing below well below Derrick henry finishing also below harris and alvin Kamara. and his breakdown of 13.8 rushing expected points 4.5 receiving the receiving i thought would be closer to that 5.5 range and then what we have with taylor and with austin eckler who is going fourth and eckler even down another point per game in terms of expected points below taylor is that those guys outperformed to the tune of 3.9 and 4.4 fantasy points above expectation which you know on the taylor side especially and, and also we get a little bit of this with eckler is that the it's the ep actually takes into consideration how many high value touches they got around the goal line and so even just maintaining the expected points especially for taylor if you don't get the receiving touches is going to be difficult because we know that he had a lot of touches there in the red zone so for him to be the 101 the receiving game has to emerge in the big article that i wrote before the season where i said jonathan taylor is going to be the guy that everything in 2021 revolves around i suggested that his receiving was going to surprise some people because this group of guys who have this talent, like the comps that he came into the NFL with and then maintained after his rookie year, those guys have taken a big jump in the second year. But the thing that's cool and I think redeems a little bit of this a little bit is that they also take a jump in the third year and really become the world-crushing stars that season. Now, because, unfortunately, most of their running backs – Are having a shorter shelf lives, it doesn't stay there for five or six years. You know, you're looking at, you know, two or three years, maybe where they can be these just, you know, league destroying backs. But now we're kind of moving into this. And I also think that you had to see, I mean, right now the Colts are talking about, okay, we may not go with Carson Wentz because he was so bad down the stretch. And that cost us our playoff spot. But the other thing that they did was not throw the ball to Jonathan Taylor during those games. And so when you go back and self-evaluate, you've got to look at that and say, you know, we made some play calling mistakes here as well. And so I do think that he's going to have that receiving workload, but he's got to have it or else he's going to be one of the lowest upside 101s that we've seen in a while.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, he finishes the year with 2.4 catches per game. That is right in line with the 2.4 catches per game. He had as a rookie and as a rookie, there were some games in there that he was not even playing substantial snaps. You know, in the middle of the season, there was that stretch of three games or so where he got, I think, fewer than 10 touches in any of the games. He was kind of out of favor. And then late in the year had the huge explosion. He's got to be up over three catches per game. And he was for the bulk of the season until late in the year they really went run heavy. And it's not like he wasn't producing during that time. So there's this, this element where you can get caught up with the full season stats and not really you miss the force for the trees a little bit where throughout the season, he was adding the receiving element when he lost the receiving element. It's because they were giving him 20 to 30 carries a game. And he's racking up a hundred rushing yards every single week until that Jacksonville game. And in, in week 18, he has uh, a stretch of four straight games when the receiving disappeared, he only had one total reception, but in all four of those games, he runs for over a hundred yards. He has four total rushing touchdowns over the four games. That's something you'll obviously take. It does, Limit some upside, like like we're saying, without any receiving. I mean, 100 yards and one TD, on, even if you're averaging a touchdown per game, that's 16 points, right? If it's 150 yards, it's still only 21 points. And it's really challenging to average 100 yards per game over the course of a whole season. He just did that. Uh, he is that good, but we do need to see that receiving come up. I think you're right, in the, especially as I sat here and said, that they need to develop some type of a passing game. That's going to then mean that Jonathan Taylor catches more than 2.4 passes per game like he did last year. So that part of it is favorable. It's just a little bit of a challenge to see the 25 point plus uh, season that we're really looking for. And that yeah, that makes me wary at the 1 on 1 with McCaffrey. I mean, I understand he's injury prone if that's, you know, if that's the the concern. It's, it seems to clearly be. He's bit a lot of people over the last couple of years. But if really all you're answering is can he stay healthy? And then, you know, I think there's concern that they'll limit his workload or whatever because he hasn't shown to to stay healthy over the last couple of years. But if really all you're answering is that he's healthy, even in a limited workload, even if he's only playing 70% of the snaps, I still think McCaffrey's receiving value is going to be so high. He's so good as a route runner. And the Panthers, every coach that's coached him, has shown an understanding that he is that good as a route runner and as a receiving like weapon to go out and run option routes against linebackers out of the backfield not just catch dump-offs, but proactively be the guy we're going to on third and four, like a Cooper Cup. I mean, like a like somebody that we think is going to win any one-on-one matchup that he gets put into as a receiving, you know, as a route runner. Uh, you know, to have that kind of guy, if the only real question is, can he stay healthy throughout the year? And then the answer is that, yeah, if he does, that he'll be right there at the top uh, of all scorers. I mean, that's the type of pick I want to make. You're already picking, you know, you're already trying to win a league as one out of 12 people, right? And so you're already kind of working from a, a small percentage. We talk all the time about targeting upside, targeting ways to win. For me, it's just so much easier to see Christian McCaffrey be the league winner in 2022. And that's, I mean, for me in the in the early part of the offseason, I'm thinking, all right, if he's going to go fourth in some of these drafts, I'm going to try to
2: get as much McCaffrey as I can. Exactly, and you definitely hope that if they do limit his workload a little bit, it'll be a few of those extremely low-value touches that um, sneak in here or there into any of these backs' workloads. If you could take a few of those away from McCaffrey, a few of those away from Kamara, then maybe it it doesn't really hurt them that much from a fantasy perspective. Three and four, I mentioned Eckler as four. He's actually five. Three and four here, we have Travis Kelsey, Cooper Cup, and then at six, Tyree Hill. So we get a little bit of our answer right away about how At least initially, and I think that there's a potential for some running back inflation as we go along, but at least initially, people are willing to get off of chasing the running backs. Derrick Henry comes in there at number seven. So there's a little bit of frustration about how he went down this year, maybe a little bit of skepticism about his playoff game. And the playoff game really sort of, again, illustrated the potential downside for the run heavy backs even if henry gets that foreman carry where he breaks out for 40 plus yards it's still not going to be a huge fantasy game so ben do you have a a preference here do you have a favorite in the kelsey cup Eckler hill henry range
1: yeah i mean i think cup's going to be a really interesting one to dive into throughout this year uh, or this offseason because he was so good there's a little bit of a stefan diggs element from 20 uh 2020, where Diggs later in his career has you know a career season. I bought into that hard last offseason. Listeners of the show will know I was very into Diggs. Repeating that in 2021, it's a little bit different in in one key regard that Cup is was better than, than even Diggs was in 2020, and he's in a a, a little bit of a different role where the volume is easier to see, be consistent. Even when he has down games, there's like a legitimate like touch floor, almost like a running back, which you don't get at receiver. There's so many design short plays and things that defenses, they're they're adding more attention to him, certainly, but they're willing to give up some of the stuff in the flat and then just rally and tackle and stuff. And so he's going to catch five balls when they're doing that. It's, it's really a question of do they evolve their offense in a way that doesn't prioritize him anymore, and I don't really understand why they would do that. You have Stafford and him connecting and clicking so well. Feels a little bit like Diggs, you know, a new quarterback, a late-season breakout, all of those elements. Again, I, I feel like I'm maybe a little bit bitten on on Josh, the Diggs and Allen thing and thinking their connection was so strong in 2020 that it was definitely going to carry over in 2021. But I still, like, I have a hard time turning down Cup in the early parts of drafts. And then Hill's the other one. I mean, I think Kelsey's the one. Certainly, I don't want to take running backs in this spot. (laughs) I'll say that all of these backs that are going through the rest of the first round, other than Najee Harris, and even into the early second, you have Kamara, you have Najee, you have Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. They're on the wrong side of 25. I think they're all very talented. But Eckler, Henry, Kamara, Cook, Mixon, that's not a group that I think I'm going to have a lot of exposure to. McCaffrey, you could say similar things about. The difference is McCaffrey is a guy who we've seen the 30 point upside from. We have not seen it from these other guys. We've seen great seasons from, you know, Eckler this year, from Derrick Henry, obviously from Kamara Cook, but those are not the guys that I would want as the next running backs. And even Harris is not the running back that I would want there behind them is where we get to Javante Williams at 16. And then also Cam Akers at 17 right now, which is very, very high after he you know looked very flashy in playoffs, but. The production hasn't actually really backed that up. Uh, We'll see as the Rams continue to play in this playoffs, if if Akers has another big game, but wasn't necessarily great in their divisional round game statistically or anything like that. Williams is the one to me that's just glaring. You get him, uh, his highest draft pick so far is 112. You get him in the early second. Those are picks I want to be making uh, in terms of attacking a running back. But yeah, in the early part, Uh, of the non-running backs i think cup and hill are the two that i I, i'm most excited about
2: and you look at cup there even if he were to lose like the four point per game off of his scoring average then he would still be a justifiable selection not just at 104 but 101 and you go through and you look at some of the win rate historical numbers and you see okay well in best ball the win rates for the 101 have been poor because whichever running back is trendy in that year has tended to get hurt and so the the running back win rates are awful and the kind of middle of the first round is where the running back win rates have really carried sort of single elite running back drafters to victory if they then go wide receiver heavy wide receiver numbers are actually really good but that's Simply because the one guy who's been up there is Antonio Brown. But the point there is that when Antonio Brown was at the level that Cooper Cup is now, that was a great pick in best ball. And so it, I, th- I think that you can go that direction and feel very good about it and then have your team set up to do some of other things. And one of the reasons that we see that is as you look a little bit deeper through the first couple of rounds here, you have Nick Chubb at 23, Saquon Barkley at 26, Antonio Gibson at 27. Now, there are going to be some drafters who are a little bit leery of taking the plunge on Saquon Barkley again, but when I mean, we talked about you know why you would, you would take Christian McCaffrey, if they get the coaching staff there with the Giants that gives us some optimism, then I mean you can take a little bit of that same bet with Barkley, but not have to pay the 1010 or one hundred two, right? And then you have Gibson, if they can build out a little bit better there then I mean you could go Cooper Cup and then come back with Saquon Barkley and Antonio Gibson at the turn. Now, we probably wouldn't do that from the perspective of having too much running back exposure in a range where you have some exciting wide receivers, but it's very much an option that you could use. You also mentioned wanting wide receivers in the first round. The next couple of guys, Jamar Chase at eight, Justin Jefferson at nine, those seem like home run picks. Devontae Adams at 12, we don't know for sure there is definitely a little bit of concern that the packers could limit his options in a way that he's not with aaron Rodgers. but we're looking like it's going to be the two of them together though And they seem to very much want to be a package deal in which case Devonte adams should also be up there at you know 103 104 so you're getting a little bit of a discount on him And then you look at the second round wide receivers and it's not that these guys are bad. I mean, these are four of my favorite guys in AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, CD lamb and Stephon Diggs. but it's maybe a little bit different than a year ago where you have Justin Jefferson in that range and you really feel like he's going to make the jump and be a superstar. You have AJ Brown in that range and he's not coming off of the kind of down year that he had this year. I mean, similar prices, but now coming off of the down year. Obviously, Diggs coming off of a little bit of a disappointing season with that exclamation point in the divisional round loss. And then CeeDee Lamb, we've covered a lot on the show. We don't need to go into that. But we know that there is a case for him making this step forward, but also a lot of risk that, you know, he's not actually in your lineup in some of these weeks if you do put together the right team structurally. So last season, wide receiver running back was actually very effective in the early going. It looks like that could be the case again.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I can get a Chase or a Jefferson and come back around with Javante Williams, I mean, or even DeAndre Swift, I mean, I like that. <laughs> I like the idea of starting in, in the later draft slots and 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 starting that way. Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of these names and where they fit a little further down, like you mentioned Barkley and, and Gibson at the 2-3 turn, Barkley going to be such an interesting one, and, and, and Gibson as well, obviously. And then, you know, further down, I see Ezekiel Elliott into the third round and it's like i don't want to even touch that that's where you start to already get into the running back dead zone i think and so it's it's clear to me that getting one of these other running backs in the earlier rounds might be interesting but it's not going to be an attractive running back year. i mean i mentioned not liking a lot of the ones that are going in the first round there's a couple in the second round guys like javante and deandre swift that i i think are very interesting There are a couple third round names I think are interesting. Aaron Jones is going in the third round. I think people fundamentally misunderstand what AJ Dillon means for Aaron Jones. Uh, Jones is a weapon for the Packers, like full stop. I've advocated before to be a little bit positionless in your thinking when you think about these offenses to not think about who the wide receiver one is on some teams. And I think you need to think about who the running back one is on some of these teams now, you know, Sean, I know you'll mention like expected points. It's a little tough when, when Jones is giving up goal line work and giving up a lot of the low value touches, but there's an element with Jones where I think, you know, you're going to get explosive games. You know, there's going to be times where they're going to make him a centerpiece. You know, there's going to be downfield routes and and pass receptions down the field. I mean, I guess I should say that this is all sort of dependent on Aaron Rodgers being back. And so there's some, some additional
2: risk there, certainly, but, He'd probably drop even lower than this and maybe even just <laughs> absolutely crash and burn from an ADP perspective if it's going to be Jordan Love, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think probably. And, and then
1: at, at that point, it'd be a little bit risky, but the guy is so explosive in his own right that I, I think there's there's merit to
2: getting a player like that. And perhaps more in a tournament, too, where you and I, we actually played Aaron Jones in the FFPC Playoff 2 contest and that part of it worked out great for us because they did have to rely on him, and we saw that big game that you've been talking about. We saw the huge reception total. Now a little bit of it may have been due to AJ Dillon suffering an in-game injury, but got that workload outscored Devonte Adams. If we hadn't made a key mistake on uh, misjudging ownership on another team in a way that that really sidetracked us we'd be in great shape for this weekend but those are the types of games that we're looking for from jones that will balance themselves out in a season especially in best ball but then give you some upside in a tournament is that kind of the direction you'd be going with it yeah that's exactly what i'd be thinking
1: i mean i think regardless when you're taking these running backs in the early rounds people want to target these workloads and a lot of times it just means like okay he's gonna have a bunch of low value touches and and you know it feels stable every week especially in best ball, I mean, but also in season long. I, I just I want running backs that have actual ceilings that have profiles and and explosive plays and, and high value touches and ways to get to 30 point games. And Aaron Jones has shown
2: that. What about the high value touches for Jacobs and Montgomery? They go in the dead zone last year. They do bring some of that receiving. They both, I think, looked a little better as talents than they had in their first two seasons. It kind of depends on, you know, where you were with your evaluation, whether or not you would uh, say that or not, probably. But now they're right back in the dead zone again.
1: Yeah, those two are going to be really tricky. I'll be I'll be very interested in sort of how they progress, how their team's moves progress in terms of how, how comfortable we feel in, in, in kind of projecting their work, which... Again, isn't isn't the whole story, but I mean, we we do end up getting team quotes and things like that that are relevant. Um, Jacobs, this being the first year that he actually got some receiving work, you know, might that have been somewhat of a personnel thing? Do they get in a position where, I and mean, obviously they went and signed Kenyon Drake and all of that, but um, that didn't matter. So maybe that's a very bullish note for Jacobs. He's one that I'll have to think through. Montgomery, uh, a little more challenging with Herbert coming on, and he's going to be back, and then if Tariq Cohen, I, I assume plays again at some point if he's able i mean i thought he would play at some point this season if he's able to make it back for next year and still be somewhat explosive i mean it might be a tough road for him as a very small guy who clearly had a very uh serious injury that cost him the entire season but if he's able to make it back in any kind of a way that impacts montgomery he might not and the bears do seem to really be interested in in montgomery as a workhorse and so those are two guys that I actually would have thought would have been potentially going a little bit higher. And if they were be a little bit easier to fade <laughs> at a certain point, it's like it when you can get a guy who probably should be not in the dead zone and probably in the first couple of rounds into the dead zone, it changes the, the calculus a little bit. I think whether that's, you know, I, I think DeAndre Swift is a great example from last year. You know, he you were on him big time. You got me on him. He shouldn't have been a fourth round pick in some of these leagues, but he was going in the fourth round all the way into deep August at times. I mean, had moved up to the third round in a lot of drafts, even late second in some cases, but you could still get him in the fourth into August. I don't have like a hard and fast dead zone rule because drafters are adjusting to trends. And that's something that we saw this year. People are talking about the dead zone. And so people are going to misuse it by creating hard and fast rules. Than what a lot of the data that taught us about the dead zone was based on. And I think this is one of the really key things that people miss when they look at past data and just try to put it into current year, whether that be, you know, ADP adjustments over time, whether that be the NFL adjusting over time. You know, I I think we've seen people fit past trends to a modern NFL game that no longer is going to exercise those trends. I mean, we could I could come up with some good examples but i don't have any immediately off my mind i think the point stands without any great examples if adp is shifting in a way that people are meaningfully understanding these trends then we also have to be flexible to the fact that there could be opportunities in future years that again because the environment is different than than what the the
2: past research was based on and a name that we don't see in this range even though the injury to James Robinson would seemingly position him to have a very dynamic workload is Travis East ETN. So we'll be uh, eager to see where he starts to go in some of these drafts, how late in the dead zone, if it fact, it seems like a, a discount and obviously what the Jaguars decide to do with their really curious about him.
1: I, I Cause I I've been wondering if maybe he's going, I mean, he was like a fifth round pick last year, but, I could see him going in like in like the ninth you know we're only looking at the first few rounds here i'm with you though like i think he's a huge early off-season target because robinson towards achilles i mean like etn's now the
2: favorite to be the more healthy one at week one sure sure i mean even with the amazing recovery we saw from cam Akers, we would not necessarily expect james robinson to be able to make much of a contribution in 2022, sadly, because he's been the one really good story from the Jaguars over the past couple of years. But then, speaking of Travis Etienne, that kind of brings us in the mind of rookies. Obviously, he missed his rookie season, but we're going to get a new class coming here, and we have to start looking at the class. It's one of the best things about the off season, and one of the reasons that we traded down relentlessly in our Rotoviz TriFlex Dynasty startup last season. Uh, brought to you by the FFPC is that we wanted to have fun and make a lot of picks, and we're going to get to do that. We have the 103, 104, 107, 112, 202, 207, 210, and 212. So, eight of the first 24 picks. Then, what, what are we looking at here?
1: Well, I mean, I know you have been deep in the lab, and I'm very, very excited about the Word of His Rookie Guide. I mentioned that at the top coming out soon. I say deep in the lab, not, not, you haven't been probably that deep quite yet uh but i know you've actually been looking i i know some of the prospect names um and so i'm excited about that <laughs> but i'm really interested uh in your takes on this we talked a little bit before the show on tuesday about it but it sounds like we're gonna have potentially as many as four quarterbacks go in the first round in super flex leagues like the ffpc ones it'll be interesting to see how people play that because we know or we've heard for Months and months and months that the 2022 quarterback class is not very strong, but we also know that teams are going to take the top quarterbacks. We're not going to have a season probably ever again where there's no quarterback drafted in the you know in the first half of the first round. Somebody's going to end up taking quarterbacks very high. So there are some intriguing quarterbacks. You're telling me there's a couple that have some rushing ability, which is very exciting. And then you have kind of a mix of profiles, really, because you have some, you know, late, late start. Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh was a fifth year senior and had really his first monster season, but it was, it was an incredible year. But he was, it was as a fifth year senior. It's kind of the Joe Burrow thing, but doesn't offer much mobility. But then we also have some really interesting receivers in this class, right? We have, uh, what, Traylon Burks or Traylon, I don't know how to say it, from Arkansas. uh, the Ohio State guys. We have Drake London from USC. So what are, I mean, we've heard a lot about the 2022 class being poor. What are you thinking right now? What are you feeling early on in this offseason
2: about this rookie class? Well, you mentioned getting deep into the lab and it is a lot of fun because once you start to look at these prospects, I mean, each one is like opening a Christmas present on christmas morning when you're a little kid where you get to to find out what the story is and and what the background what the advanced stats say what the scouts say where he's projected to go in the draft all of those things obviously fit into kind of where you're gonna put him on your board you have guys who are probably going to be artificially inflated a little bit by their draft stock but then you may have your sleepers and where you put your sleepers is going to depend a little bit on where they go right because if the guy goes in round six Even if he's a sleeper for you, he's still probably a mid to late third rounder in your dynasty rookie draft and and vice versa there. So we get to this point, we have the eight first round picks, kind of regardless of how many picks you have, it's always exciting to go into these rookie drafts. And one of the things that this does is give us some flexibility to move back into 2023 with some of our selections. But at the same time, I'm actually very excited about this class. Having begun the work here, and it's, it's always fun coming off of a big season where you've been very heavily in the NFL and then getting to talk with some of the guys who have spent most of that time in college, right? So, Travis May does a great job with us on those things. You get in, you start looking at the prospects, and you look at where the players are projected, and suddenly I think you see a class that is going to still end up being very dynamic for fantasy football purposes because what we're really missing here. Are those high-end quarterbacks that would go say one, two, three in super flex leagues? And the flip side of that is that maybe it's a little bit less of a trap year. In that last season, you know, you look at Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. We have the complete wild card with Trey Lance, those guys have hurt their drafters to this point. I don't think that the prices are going to be the same. And because the prices aren't quite the same, the risk will be more balanced out. And the cool thing with this class is you have four quarterbacks, as you mentioned, probably three of them will go in the first round, possibly four will. And three of the four guys, the three, not including Pickett, have this rushing upside that maybe it's not of the elite level that completely changes the profile like a Lamar Jackson but it gives you that extra couple of points per game. That if we're talking about you know a year or two down the road, someone being a 23, 24 point per game scorer instead of 20, 21, that's a big deal in super flex in terms of what you're doing to your weekly floor and how it kind of rounds your team out, giving you both the upside and that floor that you need as you're addressing that super flex position, making it something where it's a very clear cut play as opposed to say, just going with whoever your best flex guy is at a different spot. Right. And so that volume of quarterbacks that are interesting, we'll have to track them through the process, see if they can stay there. But we do know there's desperation from NFL teams. So, at the very least, they're going to get some shots to get out there and play. And that element of it, I think, makes them provocative and fun from a rookie draft perspective. Then you mentioned these wide receivers. There's a decent chance right now that maybe it still doesn't have the very high end guys that the 2023 class will have but it could end up being deeper than last year's class. I mean, it doesn't have a Jamar Chase. You know, it may not have a Jalen Waddle. but it could be deeper than that class. It could be deeper than the next class. And so if you have a volume of picks here, then I think you're going to be excited. And you mentioned some of the big names. You've got some big guys like Burks in London. You've got some speed guys like Olave. And you also have a variety of profiles in terms of guys who have these impressive market share type numbers, guys who really jump out from a dominator rating perspective. And then you have the players who came in as elite prospects, stayed kind of at that level at Ohio State, had to deal with each other, had to deal with younger guys. Obviously, Jamison Williams goes to Alabama and breaks out the very fact that he was also in that group. And we see how good he was when he was able to escape them, gives us a feeling that, okay, maybe these guys don't tick all the boxes that we're looking for, but especially if they're going to be drafted in the first round, you've got to feel good about, the floor that those players are going to have. So you've got these wide receivers who are going to add depth to your team. And we know we want to build our dynasty team around wide receivers, but then also, I mean the real thing here where people don't like the 2022 class is that they don't like the running backs either at the top or in terms of the depth. This is probably hard to say after Harris had such an amazing workload and Javante Williams had such great peripherals, but because Williams was in this situation, with the Broncos where he had to share. And because Harris was in the situation with the Steelers where he was so inefficient. I don't know that we're going to see this current class be that much worse necessarily. Right. I mean, you're not going to have the Jonathan Taylor type of player in this class, but we have Brees Hall. We have Isaiah Spiller, both of those guys. And especially then too, when you look at the youth and you look at one of the things you really had to give up if you drafted Harris or ETN last year, You don't necessarily have to give that up with these guys. And so I think they probably come in not as incredibly exciting prospects, again, you know, on the Taylor type of level, but they could immediately slot in above, say, your Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery types of players that we just talked about in a dynasty perspective or, you know, playing redraft, that type of profile, that type of production will definitely win you some games.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. The the wide receiver class sounds a lot like, especially the Ohio State guys, sound a lot like what we've seen out of Alabama the last couple of years with multiple potential first round picks from the same team. And so you have the, you know, the questions about market share and dominator rating and, and how those things are influenced when guys are playing with other elite talents. Um also obviously go back to LSU, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson playing together. So we've had a lot of examples of this type of thing where multiple really good receivers are coming from the same school. It sounds like Ohio state's kind of that school this year in the, in the, in your early work, who's maybe your favorite wide receiver prospect, who'd be like your top wide receiver at this point.
2: Uh, Burks has to be at number one, right? I mean, he hits several of the numbers and Blair Andrews always does fantastic prospect research. One of the articles that he wrote last year was talking about guys who have the dominator rating in the you know 35 ish range for career dominator and then are above you know 205 210 pounds burks has these really impressive numbers at arkansas and then is a big dude and so you're talking about getting that guy who could be and this was kind of interesting we had jj on the show back in the fall and he was saying you know look i I'm not against this class, but I like the big guys. and and one of the reasons, and you know you can look at work from Matt Spencer that he published with us again, just last year on the Freak score, which is something that <sighs> the fantasy douche, Put out there to help people understand sort of red zone touchdown scoring and the profile of receivers who do that and where you can get those extra touchdowns from and how obviously that's going to help you not only in reality, which I mean these teams should be definitely emphasizing, but it's going to help you in fantasy football as well and so you have a guy. At Burke's size, who also seems to be athletic, it, it'll just be exciting as always. I mean, we're all looking forward to the combine, sort of with bated breath to see you know who can go in the four threes, who can jump forty inches, and who looks like somebody who will be a, a complete mismatch even at the NFL level. But I mean, he jumps out there, and then you have another big receiver in London who has not really the full resume because of some injuries and what he did with the games that he got were just pretty extraordinary. And so you're looking at kind of a, a Mike Evans type of prospect because you have the size, but you also have this agility and, and overall sort of athleticism, bo- body control to where you're not thinking that, okay, I mean, he's tall, but NFL defenses are going to be able to handle no problem. The only thing you would ever do is jump balls. That doesn't seem to be the case here. The other thing that is encouraging for, so many of the prospects in this class who are currently projected to be in the first round and then for the running back position in the second round is that they're young guys or guys who declare early. I was thinking that with the pandemic being such a limiting factor for so many players last year, and that's one of the reasons why it seemed like maybe this class was going to be pretty weak because you don't get the chance to have that season to build on and then have multiple good years, all of that kind of thing, though we might see some prospects who are borderline who should declare almost certainly would stay We've got a lot of early declares, a lot of relatively young guys who still have the production to kind of back that up to where I think that element of it is fun, because we know that even though there are some exceptions, I mean, all you got to do is look at the two you know superstars from this year and Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel and say, okay, well, just because the guy stays for four years doesn't mean you, you know, should take him off of your board. That would be silly. But even with those guys, the numbers historically and especially when you're talking about who's going to come out in your one, your two and immediately make a contribution to your dynasty team, then I mean, you want these guys who are coming out young and are ready to just really blow up. And then not only do you get those points, but you get this early window where the trade value is astonishing. And so from that perspective, I think this class is pretty exciting as well. So there are really quite a few things that you can count on here if you have a first round pick. know it's not everybody trying to move into next year's class for robinson i mean only one one player is going to get that guy anyway right and so i i've been enthusiastic about it and excited for the process for the draft for rookie drafts now you know having worked on this first edition of the rookie guide it uh it's got me fired up and i wasn't sure that that was going to be the case and it definitely is. It's going to be a lot of fun, as always, right? Even if it were a bad class, it would be a lot of fun. But I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that gets me very excited about uh, our position in that Dynasty League that we have been certainly keeping our, uh, our listeners um, aware of. And, and we have so many picks. We're going to have such a fun time with those picks. Uh, and everyone will get an opportunity to hear what decisions we make there as we you know get all the way into to rookie draft season later this off season, but, um, just sitting there here and you talk, it just continues to get me so excited for the rookie guide, the first edition to come out. Um, you get the rankings, you get the mock drafts from all the guys that wrote a biz, and you get these great analysis pieces from Blair, from Sean, um, from Curtis, from, from the, from Travis, from the whole team. And so you have so much there. I think it's such an, an essential piece of content to read early in the offseason. season. Obviously you just heard everything Sean had to say there. And and there is so much more in the rookie guide in terms of what you need to be thinking about and what you should be doing to prepare yourself
2: to, to be able to analyze the rookie class the right way. So yeah, I'm very excited for that as well. Well, thank you. It's, it's always good to hear We we have fun with it and we've gotten good feedback. And so appreciate that note there. And with that, we will close on stealing bananas today. Uh, good luck in all of your fantasy playoff contests this weekend we know a lot of listeners are doing very well in those good luck to reality fans who are looking to see their team get through and, and we'll be with you again early next week as always I'm Sean Siegel with me is Ben Gretchen you can follow at yards per Gretchen subscribe to the fantastic Stealing Signals newsletter again I know Ben has a lot of cool stuff planned for you this off season If you do want to subscribe to Rotaviz, you can save a little money. Use the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. They'll get you a 10% discount on the one-year subscription. Please subscribe to our feed. You'll get these shows when they come out. Leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. We always appreciate those. And until next time, root hard for your teams this weekend. Good luck, everybody.